think you're really gonna like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros. I'm Bill Calkins, and our guest today is Jerry Gorchels, a longtime industry professional who's worn many hats over his more than 45-year career, from managing his high school greenhouse to collaborating with leading breeders and researchers in the development of some of the industry's legendary plants and always staying closely connected with greenhouse growers, many of whom rely on Jerry for his cultural and technical expertise. Jerry's one of the most recognizable faces representing Pan American seed in the North American market and has been an example and mentor to many current industry leaders. And if you know Jerry, you'll understand why I was so excited for him to join me on STEM to share stories of people and plants, advice for folks new to the industry, as well as for those who've grown for decades and hear about the changes he's seen over his career and what he expects in the future. Find out what Jerry looks for as soon as he walks through the door of a greenhouse for the first time and the latest tip and trick he learned from a grower. We cover a lot this episode, so be sure to listen all the way to the end, especially if you want to hear about Jerry's home garden and the unexpected annual he makes sure to plant every single year. From cut flowers to shade annuals and ugly ducklings to the most recognized plants of all time, you're in for a fantastic ride with Jerry. And because our chat lasts for more than 45 minutes, and I know your time is valuable, we're going to skip Connect for this episode and jump right into the discussion. It's my pleasure to welcome Jerry Gorchels to STEM, and that is truly an understatement. I've wanted to have Jerry on the podcast for a while, and now is the time. Jerry started out in the greenhouse industry as a grower. His experience includes greenhouse, nursery, landscape design, and maintenance. And after 30 years as a grower, he entered the sales field as a technical product rep, putting all that great experience to use as a resource. Jerry's been with the Pan American Seed Company for 30 years, and the first 15, he was the R&D greenhouse manager. Sometimes bios can be long and drawn out, but in Jerry's case, this bio is way too short. But have no fear. We'll go into plenty more detail in the opening of our discussion and throughout the chat. Jerry, welcome to STEM. Well, thank you. It's uh, nice to be here today. So it's funny, when I was thinking about this, uh, this chat, I was like, oh man, where do we start? Where do we start? It's because I've already shared your bio with the listeners and that kind of gave a snapshot into your career, but it really is just a few sentences. So can you maybe start by putting a little bit of your own spin on it, maybe get the stories going with a look back at some of the highlights in the roles that you filled in horticulture and perhaps start with why did you get into horticulture in the first place? (laughs) Well, that's a, that's a very, very long story. So I'll try and keep it as short as possible. Um, It, it, it actually started with my grandparents and, um, course that generation did a lot of gardening and everything was started from seed uh, before they transplanted it in the garden and I would watch them do it I'm, I was only like eight years old and I would help them transplant them and and in order to eliminate uh, transplant shock we always had to cover the seedlings with uh, with little clay pots and then the day day next day we would uncover them and so anyway that that was just totally fascinating with me uh, and that I think that's where the passion came from for germinating seeds and growing plants and and just just the whole science of it. 
that carried into high school, uh, where I was the greenhouse manager of our of our uh, greenhouse there, and and we would have plant sales, and I would raise money and buy plastics and stuff like that. And then I was also an FFA, and I won the the I took second place in the uh, state horticultural contest when I was a senior in high school. So, you know, I really progressed quite quickly. You know, then went to school for horticulture production, worked at various nurseries and, and greenhouses through through uh, uh, my my schooling, and then finally um, uh, went into the big commercial greenhouses um, uh, for real jobs. You know, <laughs> so so that's basically how I got into it. That's awesome, and I think that there's probably a whole bunch of listeners who could also say that they got into horticulture initially with a grandparent. I know that I remember my grandpa always planting a garden, and I was always sent out to hang out with grandpa while he worked in the garden, and uh, he would talk about each and every plant. I'm sure your grandparents did the same thing, and uh, just, just taught you kind of plant by plant what was going on in the garden, and I think it still is a great activity to do. With family, especially, you know, a, a, a generation above above your parents. And I think there's a lot that can be learned in the garden. Well, you know, and, and I have to add, too, that uh, uh, it, the, the, the horticulture bug actually goes way back to my great-grandfather, uh, who used to grow uh, uh, field-grown cut flowers oh, Wow! Uh, back in the late 1800s, moving up into, uh, uh, back into, well, right around World War One was when he um, uh, stopped doing it. But uh, anyway, it was very interesting. And uh, we speculate that uh, uh, my great-grandfather was a customer of uh, George Jacob Ball many, many years ago, too. So, Well, so. I would imagine if he was uh, if he was growing cut flowers back then, he probably would have been. That, mm-hmm. that is awesome. Isn't that incredible? Just, I love it's it. Just, uh, it's just always, you know, that six degrees of separation. <laughs> that, that's for sure. That's for sure. So that's, it's kind of interesting that you start with a story about people because I know, you know, I'll just say you are a people person. And in terms of the people and teams that you've worked with over the years and all the interesting product lines and programs, when you, when you think back, what were some of the high points when it comes to programs or, or folks that you've collaborated with um, over your career in horticulture? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this question and, and, what keeps on coming back to my mind were uh, some very old growers that I worked with, some of the old German growers in Wisconsin, and and they um, they shared all their information with me and their little secrets and and even you know like today we sell calloused uh, geranium cuttings. Well, even in the the seventies we were cutting geraniums and then letting them callous for a couple of days before sticking them. So. Um, you know, the technology itself has been around for a long time. We just forgot about it and our fast and crazy way. But, uh, you know, those guys were just incredible. They, they kept great records. Um, you know, things were old fashioned then. It was the old Cornell mix with the soil. So the soil had to be steamed and sterilized and, and, uh, um, just, you know, it, it was just, uh, basics, so back to basics kind of thing that produced uh, some very, very sturdy, healthy plants. So um, that was uh, uh, George and and Art and and uh, Irv and and uh, actually George 
died in the potting shed uh, with his pipe in his mouth. Still, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. He's just 84 years old, and he just uh, had a heart attack getting clay pots. So huh. it was just uh, really incredible. I don't know if you want to use that or not, but it's, it's an interesting story. Oh, that that is a great story, and I think it actually speaks to the to the dedication of our industry. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, another another team that I I think of is uh, when when Pan American Seed acquired Wave Petunias, and uh, uh, literally uh, the seed was left on our desks, and and we had to figure this out. Well, it was unlike any petunia that we knew. Uh, in the industry, and and it was also very day length sensitive. So, you know, after we figured that out, the rest of the culture research was history. But we, it did take about eighteen months to almost two years to really develop the culture on wave petunias. And uh, coincidentally, waves are going to be twenty five years old coming up here this coming year. So, uh, uh, it's uh, just uh, been a, a fun uh, ride the wave, if you will. So a lot of good people involved with that product. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting when I talk to uh, Scott Roosh about Wave and even when I talk to Lisa Lacey about the development of Beacon and Patience, it, it does sound like, especially with Pan American, it is all about collaboration and you guys ha have a great team. And I know that, um, that, that everybody is involved when a great product comes to market. Yes. Um, but it's great to hear you kind of repeat the stories from the other two Pan Am guests that I've had that, that really do, um, you know, lean heavily on the collaboration and, and team uh, teamwork within within Pan Am. So that's that's really great to hear. Well, it's, it's nice, too, that we have been around for quite a while. So the team members stick together for a long time. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, from that comes a lot of amazing innovations. So let's dig a little bit deeper into some of those products. You mentioned Wave. Um, you know, one of the buzzwords these days is game changers. And I know that, you know, when, when you guys, when I hear Pan American talk about innovation and in, in new products, game changer usually comes up because, um, a lot of the technology you guys use is, is extremely cutting edge. So what are some of those game-changing products that over your career you've helped bring to market? And maybe how did they come to be, um, you know, going from launch into what I would imagine are, are, you know, hopefully solutions for growers. I'm sure that a lot of them really took a lot of effort and that collaboration, trialing and then convincing the growers, which can always be... Uh, uh, pretty challenging. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you mentioned the Beacon Impatience, and and I think that is the newest and most involved game changer that we've had uh, in, in in the last well, even six months. Um, the you know when in in 2012 when Impatience Downy Mildew became so widespread that it literally knocked 30 percent of the Impatience market out. Um, you know, I thought, my goodness, am I ever going to see an impatience that's um, downy mildew resistant, you know, in my career yet? And so just watching this whole thing come down the pipeline has just been incredible. Uh, I think the um, the team that has worked together on this, and, and, and I say team because team brings, each member brings their own strength. And for this particular item, there was a lot of strengths that we needed to bring to uh, to uh, together. And you, you mentioned collaboration too; that was really a big part of it. Um, so now today, um, 
we do have a series of impatience, downy mildew resistant uh, uh, impatience uh, that really are well matched. Uh, the, the colors are uniform. Uh, the flowers are bright. Uh, it, it's just really a, a, an incredible thing to see. Uh, the other thing was uh, now going back a few years um, was dragonwing begonia, and and dragonwing to this day still is an awesome product in the landscape. Uh, I see it a lot at golf courses and the city plantings. Uh, it's basically an indestructible plant, but the plant itself was actually bred in the 1970s and lived as a vegetative line down in Florida for quite a few years called Sunbright. Uh, then uh, Lynn Nosher and I, we, we like the product so much working with Bruce Christensen. Um, we kept on bringing it out of the uh, seed vault and growing it out and showing it to marketing. And, and uh, then of course we introduced wave petunias and then we did a similar launch with dragon wing at the same time. And uh, since then, uh, it has continued to grow and really does hold its market share very well because of its performance. But uh, that was a, a, a determination factor. Uh, that was a product quality factor. I mean, all these things uh, finally brought this great product to the market. So it worked out great. That's cool. And I have never heard the name Sunbright. So this is an absolute first for me. I never knew oh. <laughs> that it had, had that name in the market. So that that's, um, or it, was that ever in, in the market or was that just a, it, it was a, it was a vegetative variety that huh. was circulated down in Florida. Um, and it never really hit the market because dragon wing is, is very unusual in that you can't take tip cuttings on it. You have to go down into the plant itself and get vegetative inner nodes and otherwise it won't branch. So uh, it is more of a difficult product to do vegetatively. Uh, that's why really seed is best on, on dragon wing itself. So yeah, Sunbright was just uh, here and there in Florida. That was it. Huh. That, that's awesome. And then you mentioned uh, beacon again. And I think that, you know, certainly where, where you spend a lot of your time in the, in the Midwest and up in the Great Lakes area. It's such a huge key product that I can imagine you were uh, pretty excited when that series uh, finally came to be. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And, and you know, and you, you mentioned earlier about the, the growers and, and whether or not they're, they're going to pick it up or not. Um, you know, the, the impatience downy mildew issue really did damage a lot of the market where consumers won't pick up impatience anymore. So now we really have to re-educate the marketplace on having this pull through for the impatience again. Um, and then uh, the other thing too is, you know, the growers, especially in my area, uh, we are in, in a low risk impatience downy mildew area, but it's still here. I mean, I had it in my yard uh, in 2012 and 2013, and I hadn't used impatience since. And uh, so now this year I do have impatience back again, and I'm just thrilled to see them in my landscape again. So it's just a matter of re-educating um, the customers, the growers, and, and uh, just bringing this great color for shade back into the marketplace again. 
For sure. And I think that, you know, certainly in Michigan, they were, you know, that that state sort of led the charge in educating consumers when the disease struck. So I do think that, you know, we're going to see a lot of of that same level of education now that there is a, a product replacement available. So yes, yes. Uh, it'll be fun. To, it'll definitely be fun to watch uh, the spring and, and moving into summer. And then when the landscapers start picking it up. Yeah. So we, I don't want to get too far into this without some funny anecdotes because I know you're always good for some funny anecdotes. <laughs> and so let's hear a good product story or plant story. Um, it doesn't need to be a, a huge game changer like wave or dragon wing. I'm, Kind of looking for something unexpected that uh, that you can pull out of your uh, your 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 knowledge of the history of some of these uh, product developments. You know, I I, I had a, a a customer that really had a a, a knack for um, pulling out these unusual plants that were great at the landscape, but looked very very plain and and mundane in the pot or the pack. And and she actually put together this uh, ugly duckling series, <laughs> and <laughs> so so I mean things like Gumfrina fireworks or or you know uh, Broalia things that you have to sell green, um, and then of course then they will really flower out very nicely in the in the landscape or even Datura or or you know some of the other things that flower later, but you know. It was interesting. I thought it was a great idea, and 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 she took it to retail, and retail just didn't know what to do with it. I mean, they just, you know, the consumers are so in on impulse buying for color, mm-hmm. you know, they just don't want to wait, you know. And I think that's one of the differences between the U.S. market and the uh, um, uh, European market, because the European market they will actually plant young plants and and let them them grow and and flower out later on but uh it's just the ugly ducklings it just i just thought that was just so awesome i think that um, she needs to pull that one back out for the millennial think, crowd because yeah. i mean see this big trend in ugly fruit i mean my kids talk about it all oh, buy the ugly fruit at the store because it's just as good as the other fruit and it's going to get left behind and you just chuckle and think wow those those farmers would would sort those right out and sell them, you know, for discount at the farm market. Now they're selling for twice the price. So I would say, hey, bring bring the ugly ducklings back for uh, for this new generation. Yes, yeah, I think that's uh, you know, of course, the the weird looking peppers for are sure. all the rage right now too. So, <laughs> <laughs> any other good any other good stories you can think about product wise? Oh, let's see. Um, well, not, maybe not, yeah, not off the top of my head right now. Maybe yeah. they're maybe they'll come up as we continue yeah. talking because right. my next question is going to be about looking back over the time that you've spent in horticulture. Um, you don't have to go back to your grandparents' garden, but definitely <laughs> back managing a greenhouse in high school and and in in your in university days what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in horticulture over the last 40 or so years you know good changes bad changes you know when you think when you think back over the years and the way things used to be done you know and and the way that they're done now what are some of the biggest changes that that come to mind you know uh, um, first of all i think one of the biggest changes that i saw was when uh, we went from seeding in in open flats or in rows in open flats and then transplanting out of that to plugs 
and uh, that happened in the late 80s, early 90s, and and I thought, my goodness, how can a how can a a, a seedling grow in such a small little cell, you know? And um, of course, that that's when I needed to be educated on on the whole plug culture and change of the industry. Of course, with the birth of plugs, um, then that opened up a whole new um, uh, realm of uniformity, of transplant machines, of efficiencies. Uh, it was just really a game changer uh, in the industry itself. Uh, the other thing that that has been a big change is the container sizes that we grew in. For, for many years it was uh, um, just flats flats and a few hanging baskets and geraniums. Geraniums were in four inch pots. Uh, we didn't have geraniums in six inch pots or larger containers like that. It was just all flats. And I think the consumer went from a um, do it yourself mode into a do it for me mode. And uh, then of course, then the hanging baskets I think became the flats because that same spot, spot uh, the, that same space that the flats were in became hanging baskets. And uh, to this day, the number of flats are decreasing um, almost by double digits every year. Uh, it, it's just amazing how, how the, the industry is changing from, uh, you know, planting in the garden or planting in the landscape to even dropping baskets into the ground for just a splash of color. Uh, so that's, I think that was the other biggest change that I saw. Mm -hmm. That's funny. This morning I was actually at the drugstore and on my way in, I saw um, a uh, kind of a greenhouse cart with one gallon jalapeno peppers, <laughs> which I had to stop and buy two of. And all I could think of was, oh my goodness, I used to sell these in like eight packs, you know, like yeah. those smallest little cells and they grew fine. But here I am buying a one gallon jalapeno plant that already had some, some flowers on, on the plant. I was like, oh my goodness. You know, uh, that's, that brings up another change that I've noticed is, uh, um, you know, on vegetables, uh, larger containers of vegetables instead of the packs. Uh, what we're doing is we're actually taking the risk out of setting fruit on the plants by putting them into larger containers and then selling them with fruit on them. Uh, the, the consumer feels better about that. And they, they actually feel like, wow, this already has fruit on it. I don't even need to worry about putting fruit on it. It's already there. So then they take it home and plant it. So um, it's just that that's... That was another um, trend, a slower trend to evolve. But even today, you know, the tomatoes, the peppers, everything is in a much larger container size. Yes, you're right. That's cool. So I can imagine in the late 80s when you guys were moving to plugs that the growers who'd been working with these open flats and everything in the past were probably somewhat hesitant to adopt this new trend. I mean, are there any, can you think of any, I mean, how, how did you guys overcome that? Because I got to believe there was a, you know, pretty significant cost increase if you're buying a plug versus buying a, you know, a bag of seed. Well, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, I was working over in Michigan then and, and well, actually, even before that in Ohio, and uh, that's where I started working with my first seeder and uh, it was a Hamilton. 
Uh, back then, we didn't have drum seeders yet. We just had needle seeders. Mm -hmm. And you had to watch them very carefully because if the needles plugged up with, with uh, seed chaff or dust or anything like that, it wasn't picking up a seed. But um, I used it primarily for geraniums, for seed geraniums, the Ringos and the Pintos, things like that. Oh, and Mavericks too, Maverick Red. That was an old variety. Um, and, and so it, it was very exciting to see, you know, this machine sowing the seed. And, and you know, if you can imagine dropping seed into cells by hand, <laughs> I mean, it was 10 times faster. Um, and then uh, in Michigan, just uh, using the, um, the Hamilton cedar uh, in, in the, the barn and then putting the, the, the flats out into the greenhouse to germinate, um, it really was a game changer. And, you know, back then the transplanters got paid by, uh, by the piece or by the flat. And um, um, literally, when we went to plugs, we stopped paying them by the piece, and and because they were so fast right. <laughs> that uh, that we actually went to hourly wage on the uh, on the the transplanters then. So because the, the plugs were so much faster, so um, you know, cost wise, um, you know, Hamilton uh, really did have a, a nice efficient and affordable cedar that they came up with. There was also the vacuum cedars, the easy mm -hmm. cedar company out of Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, the uh, different uh, plates um, that you could buy. There was even a, um, a, a gang cedar that you could direct sow alyssum and porchlaca right into the flats. That was mm -hmm. another whole, uh, whole movement for a while. And so, I, you know, I think, um, Really, I think that was uh, the the plugs were definitely uh, a huge advantage for us as growers in the greenhouse. That's true. It kind of opened up a whole new market, including the the automation, all of the the different um, elements that go into the system. Um, it opened it opened up a market for to be a plug grower and supplier. So, um, yeah, I, I I can imagine how that that would have impacted the industry in in a hugely positive way back in the late 80s and early 90s. Oh, yes. So you've been in literally hundreds of greenhouses um, across North America and around the world. And I've got to believe that you, you know, when you walk into a greenhouse, you immediately start sort of formulating your, I guess your, I guess maybe your, your, your plan of attack, how you're going to help that grower be even more successful um, in, in a variety of different ways. But since there are so many different, you know, intricacies in a greenhouse, you probably start, you know, sort of form, formulating that, that plan right when you walk in. So what are some of the first things you notice when you walk into a greenhouse? And, and based on those initial visuals or sort of feeling or sense of that greenhouse, what are some of the first questions that you ask the owner or grower in an effort to, uh, to help them get, get even better? <laughs> you know, um, Right. Even, even before I walk into the greenhouse, I, you know, you have to walk through the head house to, to get into the greenhouse in most cases. And the first thing I notice is the cleanliness of it. Um, is it uh, uh, dirty? Is it clean? Um, is it organized? Uh, and that will tell me quite a bit on, on uh, what 
I might see in the greenhouse itself. Um, and then as far as the grower goes, um, you know, I'm a big advocate of using environment um, and water management as a tool for healthy plants. Uh, I, I think uh, too wet is not good. And of course you can get too, uh, too dry as well. But, but I think the main thing is that um, good moisture management is a big thing. And quite often I'll ask the growers, are you a wet grower or a dry grower? Mm. And you know, then depending on their answer, then we'll go into, you know, uh, what are your problems? What are your issues? Is it because of being too wet? Um, is it disease? Uh, what kind of fertilizer are you using? Um, you know, different things like that, that, that can help me help them manage the health, health of their crops. So. Okay. No, that, that's fascinating. I know that, you know, I've walked into greenhouses um, with all sorts of folks that have have a, a lot of experience and it's interesting to see what, what they spot some of those questions that they're asking, what they, what they first notice. I think I was just sort of interested in, so you're looking at cleanliness and then to figure out um, kind of their, if they're a wet or dry grower, that that's pretty cool. Yeah. So how about this? You are a very trusted resource to a lot of the growers that you work with. Um, you know, I've seen you give plenty of talks at, at the biggest industry events and really, you know, share your knowledge um, in, a, in a good, crisp and clear way. But I can imagine that you also pick up a lot of information from growers when you're working with them. So what are some of the lessons that you have learned from the growers that you've worked with over the years? You know, just within the last couple of years, I picked up this uh, this tip, and and I'm not a big advocate of the product Florel. Um, mm-hmm. I think Florel has a place on the vegetative side, but it really doesn't do much on the seed side, and that a lot of people will argue with me on that too, and that's fine. But uh, because a seed product has already a natural um, juvenile period that it has to grow through where it doesn't even need to have the flowers knocked off or reset. Um, you know, what's the sense of using the florel on it? But I was at a, at a grower and, and I, I was looking at their crop card on a crop of spikes and vinca vine and it said uh, florel and it, just about every week it was getting sprayed. And the, the crop was beautiful. The, the spikes were shorter, the leaves were wider. Um, the vinca vine was, uh, the, the nodes were stacked. I mean, they were just beautiful, beautiful plants. And, and he said, well, that's what uh, the florel is doing. Hmm. Um, so, you know, where, where spikes can get quite tall, um, uh, the florel was actually take, taking the, the length out of the leaf and uh, making them wider and uh, just more attractive looking. So that was one of the biggest things I've learned recently. Um, you know, the other things are, are, you know, there's always chemicals in our industry that we use and we use, uh, um, you know, fascination quite a bit now. And especially with other plant growth regulators when they're hammered too hard, um, the growers say, well, I don't need to worry about that anymore because I've got fascination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, you know, the old school in me goes, but why would you want to react to something that you were reacted to already? Mm. You know, and, and I just think that uh, being more proactive, uh, you know, I guess the bottom line is with plant growth regulators, you can always add more on 
but you can't take it off. And, and uh, you know, fascination is one of those tools that that is out there for the, the growers to use now. Um, you know, and it was a lesson learned. You know, I, I just I have to accept it because that's what's happening out there right now. Mm -hmm. And and so it's just uh, just one of those things. So it must be a matter of, you know, you, you see what's going on in the marketplace. You see some of these new tools and strategies that the growers are using, whether you would have used those or not. You then have to sort of adapt your approach to helping that grower because you don't want to tell them, hey, stop doing that. You know, if, if it's something that, that's working for them in their system. So it's a matter of really kind of being adaptive and flexible well, you're right. out there in the field. Yeah. You're you're right, and and you know quite a few of my growers have heard me say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, and and so and I I have to listen to them too, and and I have to, you know, um, learn from them, and basically how they're doing things a little bit differently, even though I might not agree with them myself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, uh, you know the, the, a lot of the us older growers that have been around for a while, uh, there are things that work for us mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what we know. And, but we're always still learning and looking at things. Make it that's better. true. And, and part of, I think what I, when I, you know, when I, when I talk to you and certainly what I've learned, learned from you over my years in horticulture and listen to you interact with other people, it's, it's sharing the lessons that you've learned. It's sharing the advice, but also listening and, and being reactive to, to where that person's at. So yes. you, you know, I think that it's fair to say that you've been and continue to be a mentor to so many people in the industry, whether they're growers or new product managers, folks on the breeding side. So why is this mentoring important to you? Well, I assume it's important to you. And then what is it about horticulture that's kept you kind of fired up over your career and, and why do you think it's important to pass this inspiration along? Well, I think I'll go back to the beginning and say that it's the passion. Um, it's the passion of, of growing things from seed, growing things from cuttings. Um, and it's just, uh, uh, as the seasons change, I always have to you know, keep my plants, I almost decorate with my plants for the seasons, you know, and, and um, even at home uh, in March, I'll start taking cuttings and getting things ready for summertime out in my mixed containers. And, um, and then in June, I'll sow my pansies for my fall decorating outside. And, you know, it's just things like that. So it's the passion. It's, it's just the, the, um, just, the, the wanting for all the different plants throughout the different seasons. Um, now, the other thing was um, the, the mentoring part. Um, you know, I, I've uh, had some very, very uh, uh, engaging uh, interns that, that really uh, just um, became outstanding in the field. One of them is a, a, a professor now, and a, a, another one is um, one of, head grower over at one of the biggest greenhouses in the country, and and they 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 both keep coming back to me and saying I learned so much from you, you know, and all they all they did from me was, you know, 
they they watched me run green road and and i taught them how to water (laughs) (laughs) you know and uh you know and on the watering side of course in michigan i learned this one um if if you think if it's in springtime, if you think you should water it today, you should wait till tomorrow. <laughs> nice. uh, but in the summertime, if you think you should water it today, you should have watered it yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But but it it kind of sets your mindset into into that way. Um, the you know when I went to Hort School, um, just uh, you know, it was just a tech school program. I didn't go to the university, but it was a tech school program. And I learned so much um, about the real world, about how things happen in the real world. It wasn't so much um, coming out of books, but it was coming out of the day-to-day in the greenhouses. And uh, uh, just, I glommed onto that and it was just so important to me that I felt like I needed to share that with with other people too. Um, So then, I don't know, it's just, you know, getting back into why is it important? um, Our industry is is changing quite quickly and uh, no, maybe it's not the industry, it's the people. Mm. The people who aren't coming into our industry. we it's it's not necessarily a glamorous position you know it's a glamorous job in our industry i mean you get your hands dirty it's hot you got to work weekends i mean but it boils back down to the passion sure and and i i think that's what keeps you going through all this um and uh you know just i don't know it's it's a tough one i i think it's important that we try and spark the interest of of young people to come into the greenhouse industry and and it's very rewarding to see the outcome of your 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 crops i mean it's sure. it's just uh, the beauty of the flowers and 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 you know um in using one of our our pillars of growth uh, creating excitement in the world of flowers i think you're doing that when you grow these plants and and i just uh I think it's important that we have more people coming into our industry. For sure. And I think that, you know, sharing the passion, sharing kind of the reasons that, you know, why you get up excited every morning to go work, you know, with growers and see what's going on in a greenhouse. I think, you know, it's clear to see when, when anybody talks to you that, that you have that sense of passion. And then looking back to the folks that, that helped you and some of those, those lessons that you learned, I mean, it, it, the more that you can share about that real world in the greenhouse, the more you're going to prepare these young growers um, for, for what they're going to run into, no matter what the crop, no matter what the new piece of technology is, mm-hmm. um, you know, no matter what that new trend plan is, it's sometimes it is, it's, it's those basics, you know, it's that, you know, you, you got to water, you know, when it's hot out, you know, don't, don't, don't skip a day, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of blocking and tackling and nailing those, those basics and then keeping that passion that makes a lot of sense you know uh, another thought came to mind here um i had a i had a boss that uh um thought that i was almost too dry of a grower and 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 there was a a crop of impatience that was starting to flag and and uh um you know 
at first, you know, earlier when I started with him, he, he thought I was too wet grower. So mm-hmm. then he started calling me on to being too dry. And and he would say, well, if you don't water those in the next half hour, I'm going to have to water it myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing um, about being a dry grower, um, you know, it, you can you can really control the growth of your crops on on being a dry grower and and actually use less or even eliminate the use of plant growth regulators if you use your water management and fertility management. So when I started with Pan American Seed, um, of course, being a dry grower, um, the the uh, segregating crops that were coming through the greenhouse at the time, because I was such a dry grower, um, the research team did have to come back to me and say, you're going to have to wetten it up a little bit because <laughs> we we can't see differences genetically. They're, they're all coming out the same and we know that's not true. So um, that was one area that I did have to change when I went into research was uh, to give the plant its ability to uh, to show its uh, full character. So. Well, that's interesting, though, as, as a grower controlling, you know, kind of keep, keeping that uniformity by the the water and water management is is also very critical. So that's funny that you had to you kind of had to change it up when it when you started working with the researchers who needed to see the, the, the who needed, differences. Yes. That's hilarious. You know, and, and water management works very well in the northern areas uh, of North America. Um, well, or worldly. Mm-hmm. Um but down south, where uh, things dry out so quickly, uh, there, there you almost need to uh, have a, a looser soil mix that you can add more water to it on a more regular basis. Um, but yeah, I'd, water management, uh, it, it takes a different form down in the south. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. So. So I asked you before some of the changes that you'd seen in in horticulture over the year, and you talked about the you know flats moving to plugs or the open flats moving to plugs, and some of the container size changes, um, some of the trends in vegetables. So what do you think? You know, if, if if you had to give one you know one sort of forecast or prediction, what do you what do you think is going to affect horticulture in the next say? five years or decade? What do you, what do you think um, we're, we're going to be facing here in the next, you know, handful of years? You know, I, I'm seeing some some trends in um, cut flowers, um, especially at the grocery store where you're, you're able to buy uh, a value bouquet uh, and take them home uh, for everyday use. And, and and before flowers were just you know it seemed to be more for for just a oh an occasion or you know that kind of thing. But now people I think are actually using flowers more to make them feel better on a day to day basis. Mm. Um, you know especially at the price deals that the the grocery store has them at. Uh, I think it's great in, in just getting cut flowers out there. Um, the other thing is uh, pot plants, and and basically the same reasoning again. Um, it it makes you feel good. They're more of an impulsive buy. Um, you know, I I need a little bit of color in the living room. I'm you know, I'm look tired of looking over at a blank table. Mm. So uh, you know, get a pot plant and 
you know, years ago we had that uh, 2112 program uh, where mm -hmm. we were looking at different uh, annuals that might work for pot plants. But the one thing that I will always remember out of, out of that program was that if a consumer can get up to 21 days of pleasure out of that pot plant, that that's really all they want. Mm. You know, it's not like they're going to grow it to reflower again. I mean, when it's done flowering, they're going to throw it away and, and uh, you know, get a fresh one. So, I, you know, these are these are the kind of things that 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 I see happening. Um, of course, the baskets, um, uh, I think uh, the hanging baskets in our industry are still huge. We had our, our uh, plant sale at church for Mother's Day weekend, and uh, I more than doubled the amount of baskets that I had ordered the year before, mm. and we sold them all. I mean, oh, wow. the, the majority of them were gone after the first day of the plant sale already. And it's just, they're, they're just easy. They have a handle. <laughs> yep. You can pick them up and carry them away, whether they're, whether or not they're going to drop them in the ground or drop them in another container that they already have, or just hanging them up on their porch. Uh, but I, you know, I think that's, that's that 21 day rule is going for the baskets too. I mean, it's great if they live all summer long, but um, you know, there's this thing called water that uh, they need. So, <laughs> no, I like it. I think all three of those are are, you know, the cut flowers. I'm with you. I see this as a trend that could certainly take off here. I think it, you know, nobody can argue that there's a trend in house plants that is, you know, hitting heavy right now with young shoppers, um, and it is that need to beautify their indoor space. And I think that then they transition that to something with some flower and some color. And you're right, it is an impulse buy, but it it makes you feel good. And they're also great as gifts. And I think baskets are the same way. Um, I always say nobody ever frowns when you give them a plant or a flower. Everybody smiles. I think it makes a great gift. And I think that as people, you know, we, we watch the, the millennial generation entertaining and doing things as groups. A lot of times they bring gifts. Um, they want to beautify their living space and all of these fit, fit right into that. So I'm with oh, you. Yeah. I think all three of them are, are, are very good and that it's certainly something that, that can continue for the next five to 10 years. You know, I think more times than not anyone going to someone else's house for, for supper or a meal, um, they bring, uh, a bouquet of flowers and a bottle mm -hmm. of wine. <laughs> yep, and it's perfect, and it, it so makes it everybody is. happy. It does. <laughs> so, all right, we're wrapping it up here. I got a couple more questions. I can't let you go without asking you, what is the best piece of advice you'd give someone entering the industry? So new, new grower, new, you know, grower retailer, whoever it is, someone just, just getting into the industry, maybe you know, wrapping up college and uh, get, getting ready to, to jump into the real world as a professional um, in the greenhouse industry, I'm going to leave it wide open. Give me your best piece of advice. I think the best piece is to use your resources. Mm -hmm. I mean, today's industry has so many resources at their fingertips. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and so many growers today actually have a tablet attached to their side when they're out in the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they're out there, they can, they can take a picture of something and, and send that off to somebody else for identification or, or even, um, um, 
the um, I identification app where they can actually say what disease is this or what uh, um, you know fertilizer nutrition or what you know troubleshooting actually troubleshooting is is just a huge um, resource for us right now uh, the other thing is not uh, don't be afraid of making a mistake because you know we're, we're dealing with uh, an environment that changes by the minute we're dealing with the different water qualities. We're dealing with different fertilizers. We're, you know, just don't be afraid of making a mistake. You know, you, you can learn the basics and, and then you can learn from your mistakes. And, uh, and I think that's, that's really the, the best way to work through this industry is to just not be afraid of making a mistake. I love the user resources too, because you have those resources, like you said, that are sort of tech, not technological resources, you know, on the internet and culture calculators and monitors and troubleshooting. And then there's the resources of people because, you know, there are a ton of experienced industry people that you can find at any trade show, any event, any grower meeting, even online and forums, reading the trade magazines. I think that you know, our industry does not lack when it comes to resources and, um, you know, whether it's systems or people. And you're right. It's knowing those resources and understanding how how to use them. And you're right. They're right at your fingertips. These it days. is. It's amazing. It. Mm -hmm. So how about the same question, but for experienced veteran growers that might be slower to change or adopt new things? What you know, if, if you're working with a grower that has tons of experience, but, you know, they're, you know, you know that they need to maybe, you know, make a change in a certain direction, you know, what, what's your best advice for, you know, veteran experienced growers? The first word that comes to mind is listen. Mm -hmm. And, and I think quite often, you know, the experienced grower um, already knows the answer, so they don't listen. And and there might be something new out there. There 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 might be a new technique. There might be a new fertilizer um, that that could help them, uh, or even a different water treatment that will will help them produce a better crop. Uh, the main thing is that they just listen, and and listen to their resources, listen to their employees. Um, yeah, listen to their mentors. <laughs> Because we all have mentors. <laughs> that's for sure. And I, I do think that's, you know, it's probably good advice for anybody at any level of their career. But, you know, yeah. I think especially, like you said, for the for the folks that have, you know, think they've done everything and learned everything. Nope, nope. There's always an opportunity to learn. And, and sometimes that means just kind of being quiet and hearing what's out there. So, you know, like there's that. so many there's so many businesses out there that um are changing hands from one generation to the next or mm -hmm. even multiple generations on a daily basis um, where you do have uh, these 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 uh, different um, eras if you will of of the greenhouse industry uh, in one room and you know there's a hundred different ways of growing a plant uh, and what you do you have to work look it out or, or work it out what's what's the the most economic what's the most efficient um you know just the value involved how mm -hmm. can you how can you increase your margins um all these things 
play a factor in 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 what you do and and uh and i guess it boils right back down to collaboration right no that that's good and that does kind of bring it full circle as we wrap up here um that it is about the plants and it's about the people um yeah. and and i always you know, I can't, I can't even count how many times I've said that over the last 33 episodes of STEM, but it does, it's people and it's plants, and that's really what makes our industry uh, so amazing. So let's close with a fun question, because I know deep down, or actually it's probably right on the surface, you are a plant nerd. I've walked past your office. I know, oh, I certainly <laughs> couldn't even identify the plants that are all around it, but you know, like so many people in the industry, you are a, a plant person. And, you know, I love your, your, your first story that it goes back all the way um, before you're even in high school. So tell me about your garden at home. I know it's got to be amazing. There's got to be weird and wild stuff. I mean, you mentioned in this, in this chat that you take your own cuttings and yeah. grow things for summer, which is very <laughs> unique and interesting in and of itself. And I'm sure we could talk for hours about that. So tell me about your garden. So, so I, 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 I have some very unusual uh, hellebores. Hellebores is a perennial that that uh, flowers very early in the spring. And and you know my wife was walking the the dog earlier this spring, the the end of March already, and uh, before we had the last snow, these flowers were coming up. She goes, "Did you stick plastic flowers into the yard?" <laughs> I said, "No, those are hellebores." Um, and then I also have uh, a, some very old and big hoyas hoya vines and and uh, uh the common name is wax flowers um but i've got uh, the pink ones the heart-leafed ones the red ones uh some more compact ones um and then i've got a jade tree that's uh, 44 years old and it's oh almost goodness. as tall as i am you know and um and then i try and get uh, a good blend of mixed containers going all around the yard I have uh, mostly shade, and uh, but even in the sunny areas, I'll I'll uh, uh, drop some bricks down into the sun areas and put some containers there mm -hmm. too. Um, I actually dug up the terraces to get some more sun space, so <laughs> <laughs> I I do have uh, some very nice perennial beds that are on the terrace too. My uh, my yard is actually a destination walk. Oh, cool. So people walk by and they say, oh, we always make sure to walk past your house because there's always something new flowering. So, <laughs> And then one other thing, I I was honored by the, the city of DeKalb. Um, they did give me a certificate for the Yards of Distinction. So oh, cool. that was kind of nice. Yeah. For so sure. I, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a plant geek. I'm, yep, I'm a plant <laughs> You You name it. I got it. So <laughs> is there an annual that you have to plant every year? I mean, like I know that at my house, I plant portulaca every year because it was my grandpa's favorite plant. So like every year, I always make sure just to put it at least in one container or one space. Do you have a, a an annual that, that you've got to plant every single year? You know what? That that would be Megilla perilla. Oh, wow. And, you know, it, the, the interesting thing was it, a cutting came out to green road many years ago and uh, i think brian core brought it back from india or something like that and and he said it was actually a plant that they used to uh, wrap rice in and then you know kind of like a, a tortilla wow. and and 
I was so fascinated with the plant because I, I, you could literally dissect the stem into the inner nodes and just plant the inner node and, and you can get a new plant out of it. It's it just incredible. So, uh, and to this day, I have to have Megilla perilla in my yard. That's great. I was totally unexpected. I was trying to predict what you were going to say, and <laughs> I would have never in a million years picked Megilla perilla. Well, and but, the main the main line stuff is impatience. I mean, sure. I, I because I have so much shade, uh, I, I do really like to use impatience, but uh, no, Megilla's right up there. I, that's the one I always propagate every spring. <laughs> That is cool. Well, you know what? That makes an absolute perfect ending for this episode of STEM because I knew that it was going to be a fun discussion. Definitely didn't disappoint, not even close. Your, I think that your passion and enthusiasm, which you brought up, is something that you like to pass on to, uh, to the folks that you work with. You know, your passion and enthusiasm is contagious. Your expertise is unmatched. I think that anybody who you've worked with has has definitely walked away from each uh, conversation uh, smarter than they walked into that conversation. And I think that your impact over 40 years in the industry has been felt by a ton of people, um, certainly in the region where you spend most of your time, but also uh, around the world, you know, certainly with the Pan American team members and other growers that you've worked with, um, you've made a, a huge impact and continue to. So well, I want to say thank you for me but I also want to say thank you from so many other people in the industry um, and also to thank you for being uh, on the 33rd episode of STEM. This was fun. No, this was great. I really appreciate uh, the chance to share my experiences with, with everyone. And, uh, you know, uh, you guys know how to get a hold of me. So if there's anything you need, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I will add uh, in the show notes a link to a lot of the things that we referenced past episodes. Um, I'll try to put some Pan American Seed resources in there. But, uh, you know, I, I know that you are uh, you're not you're not you're not going to be at as many events as in the past, but I'm sure that folks will uh, will see you around and certainly uh, uh, see your your in influence and input in a lot of what Pan Americans do. Yes. So, again, yeah. thank you so much, Jerry. I appreciate no. it. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros, and special thanks for helping us reach 10,000 downloads. That's a huge milestone in the podcasting world. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and give it a good rating on your podcast player, or better yet, write a quick review or share with your coworkers and peers. This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate the support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. That's B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com. And be sure to follow Ballseed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, and more. And now you can follow STEM Greenhouse Podcast on Instagram. That's STEM Greenhouse Podcast, all one term, for behind-the-scenes looks, sneak peeks, and all sorts of good stuff. So let's end this episode with a quote about listening from American jazz singer Diane Reeves. I think the only way for you to grow and evolve is to keep listening, keep moving forward, keep jumping in, and trying to experience.